Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, hello and welcome. Welcome to your Infrequent Flying Podcast pilot episodes. We've been away for a bit, but now we are back and I have got my three fearless air people air men air warriors whatever you whatever you want to call them and they're here first of all there is the mild weasel godders how, how are you mate mild <laughs> weasel i like that, that. mild weasel i you know I, I i was out in america last last week on a course and i brought my wild weasel little patch with me so i could wear on my flying suit <laughs> i should have a mild weasel one that's brilliant yeah. love that i thought you said mild weasel and i thought that's brilliant that he is, did say that. That's exactly what he said. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, not don't, old turn, we... don't turn it all cool as wild weeds. Go and get your hearing trumpet, Farky. Don't For deflect that sake. one. Old weasel. Yeah, no. <laughs> old uh, and deaf weasel. I was fascinated the by something. That we haven't had a... We haven't had a podcast for so long is because JB's been making up these uh, pithy intros. Exactly. Okay. And it takes me absolutely months. Um, also, did you know this? Did you know this? The hardware of the got to pay for a one-star general to go on a course about how to fight a war. I would have assumed that that would be second nature. But that's where you've been, right, Godders? I have been on a uh, very interesting course called the uh, Coalition Forces Air Component Commander course. And uh, it was brilliant. Sounds got awesome. To, uh, speak to a million four-star generals uh, about how they do stuff, leadership, um, lessons from you know previous campaigns from Afghanistan, from Iraq, all sorts of stuff. It was amazing, and met up with a couple of blokes that I hadn't seen for a million years. Well, twenty um, that I was on exchange with, uh, and um, so it was awesome. Really, really good. Excellent. I've never heard of you referred to as a general before. But I think that's what JB called you, isn't it? A one-star general. That's what we've got to call him. Well, so, um, yeah, exactly. I forced them to, because because the rank in America, the other one-stars on the course, there was a couple of two-stars and a three-star. But um, it, the staff rank is Brigadier General. So they accidentally slipped into calling me General Godfrey, and uh, I'm forcing my family <laughs> to do exactly that. <laughs> I'm going to call you General Godfrey. For <laughs> Even in, in fact, social circles. I mean, fact, the, uh, the U.S. the U.S. Army one star on the course liked the term Air Commodore so much he wanted to be called the Ground Commodore. <laughs> ah, I like it. Uh, I mean, the weird thing is, I met up with uh, Godders a few weeks ago in Twickenham, and he made me change on my phone from Paul Godfrey to General Godfrey. So he's taking it very seriously. That's me. Now yeah, it's, all, it's all about uh, self promotion. Now, before we can... I have self-promoted. That's the only way I got to a Commodore. <laughs> now, before we continue, 
Uh, I do have a question for you, um, Goddess, and it is this: you brought it up almost by accident, but you said you had you got to wear a flying suit all week, which um, I will come to in a minute. But you said you like the flying suit because you have to wear badges all over it. And here's my question: Who designs the badges? Oh, now in the UK, yes, we have. He does the his world's... own. Does all his yeah. own badges. I make, make my own. In the UK, it's Squadron Prince. So um, Jill and Barry Vissers, uh, who are based up in uh, up near Lucas, um, they are. If you've uh, JB, you must have seen the um, the prints of aeroplanes. You know that a lot of people have framed. That all of the squadrons have them done. You know a specific side-on view of a squadron aeroplane, and you know a little spiel yeah, 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 yeah. that says what the squadron have done, and you know, all that sort of stuff. So. For years, they took over the, this particular company that had been started, I, I, I guess, about 30 or 40 years ago. Um, and are massive friends of the Royal Air Force and and the other services as well. So, uh, you know, they branched out into badges and um, and do millions of badges. So the, the Typhoon badge I was wearing was was done by them. I think my name badge uh, was done by them as well. General um, yeah, Godfrey. Godfrey. Wow. Massive in That's 37 really cool. font general. And then two font <laughs> does it does it light up? Yes. Oh yeah, that would be good to have flashing lights around it. Have yeah. I? God, has uh, it got it like but, as a as a full back patch? You know, yeah. so on the back of the jacket, <laughs> General Godfrey. But God. if but you guys know any if anyone could do that, Squadron Prince could do that. Yeah, very nice. But the, so what I, I just want to point out the fun on the podcast has all been about. Calling God as General Godfrey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Carry on. Well, that noise well, uh, that there was... Duncan, how, uh, uh, how are we? <laughs> <laughs> it's why we've been away so long. It's good. If ever there was an inappropriate name, <laughs> I don't know what you mean. There's a song uh, in there, isn't there? Uh, yeah, I, I believe I you can make a uh, make some sort Skull of song. Crush it's a mild thing. Mild thing. It's funny because since we last spoke, I think I've been demoted. It's all very well, you know. General got Hoy Poloy and his his high rank in Tooting and <laughs> Tooting. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> He's run out of words. I've run out of words. <laughs> He's off the edge of the runway. <laughs> uh, but I got demoted. <clears throat> but you have been flying. In fact, you were flying yesterday. It was almost inevitable, Dunk. was inevitable, yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. but you were flying so yesterday, that... right, Dunk? Are we flying today? Tell us about that. Yeah. I, I had my instrument rating test today. That means for flying in cloud. Uh, how, in... How, was, how was it? We could probably, but I bet that's quite complicated in one of those little things, isn't it, Into, in a prefect? It is. Un, it's the, the most simple thing you can imagine. The aeroplane helps you enormously which is great but you spent i spent i literally spent the whole trip thinking i've, I've missed something i must be i must have missed something because it's everything is is there in front of you the, you know as you say we'll probably get into it in a bit but you know it's all glass cockpit and it uh, it really um is designed really well so it it, it helps you enormously in uh, in poor weather and uh, so it's great it's really good um and, now- and you still fail I still failed, yeah. It turns out the reason that I was thinking I must have missed something is because I had. <laughs> a lot. The runway, most of the time. 
<laughs> so we all Broke know you to be we, we all know you to be a a model instructor what you like as a pupil dunk i don't know you'd have to ask someone else wouldn't you well i mean would you well, would you I look think, at your I own behavior be entire, if you were watching yourself third person would you look at your own behavior and say that's how i want all of my all of my students to behave or would you grade yourself differently Constant uh, back chat. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not going to do it like that. I'm going to do it. Watch this. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not the first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the thing is, so today I was flying with because uh, flying with uh, Charlie Brown, who uh, you know I've uh, flown with previously in all sorts of different airplanes, but um, Parky flies with him uh, down at Flying Legends at Headcorn, and so. Uh, uh, but he's a delight to fly with, and uh, he's. Uh, I, I'm sure he's being mildly eccentric. Uh, and uh, so, but he's uh, he, he's great to uh, great to fly with, and always has uh, wise words. Hmm. Uh, anyway, what like... was his uh, what was his conclusion to the um, the the sortie dunk? Did he <laughs> did he punch you very hard? <laughs> he uh, yeah. I, I think it was just on short finals. I have control. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he didn't swear first after screaming. I don't think Charlie swears, does he? Yes. Only very occasionally. You know that he's serious then. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, it all seemed to go all right. Thanks mm. for asking. <laughs> so anyway, to answer your question, JB, I think so. I don't know. It's an awkward question, isn't it? I, I, I hope so. But uh, I don't know. You would have to ask someone else. Oh, and don't we might worry. just do that. I will ask. I'll ask Charlie and I'll give us a full report. Well, yes. I mean, if anyone has Charlie's Thank number, you, did you not do some C2I stuff with him in the chippy? I'm trying to think. It was. I probably we must have done dunk. Did I do? Some the thing C2I is, we, we we banter, but uh, uh, but Parky and I have flown together an awful lot, and uh, I think we can safely say that uh, that that we're probably on the same wavelength, aren't we, Parko? Yes, I think we tend to have quite a laugh, really, <laughs> in a very professional way. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I, I... I flew with Parky a lot more because um, Duncan and I could not help but nib each other the whole time. I remember one particular sortie where, what was it, 70 knot climb in a chipmunk? Yeah. 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 And I said, oh, look at that, Dunk, 65 knots. And he went, no, that's best rate of climb. I'm doing this on purpose. <laughs> An it's, answer for everything. That's what he's got. Then he used to say, if you did that, he'd go, no, you don't get such good cooling. That's why you need to do it at 70. I can remember <laughs> him saying that. And you can see over the nose better. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I guess we're 10 minutes in. Um, we should uh, we should really in, um, introduce the man who's probably in a mild hibernation now. Porky. Okay. Uh, now, that is very accurate. I was going to say, this is literally when you do nothing, right? It's nice and dark, uh, all the fields are covered in mud, Spitfires are nicely tucked away in heated hangars. Kind of. I mean, we're actually going to, fingers crossed, if the weather holds out, we're going to do uh, a couple of Spitfires on the wing of a Dakota full of veterans, Ooh. and I think I'm going to have a, a veteran in the back of the two-seater and fly over Cape Lafern on uh, Sunday. Remembrance Day, and they're going to do a poppy drop over the sea. So there's a cunning plan for some aviation to occur if the weather allows. Excellent. Wow, fucking all right, isn't it, Parko? Things. So it's really, yeah, it's sort of. I think it's all blown through on Saturday, isn't it? 
Yeah, there's a bit of a front, but it's just hopefully that will uh, knob off to the east and we'll be able to get it in. Or maybe we'll just sort of slip a little bit sort of later on. But it'd be, it'd be lovely to do that. And, you know, a load of veterans uh, out of uh, North Wheeld on Sunday would be great. Mm. Can we just can we mention how all of us love displaying at Capital Lafern? That's a good one. That is very true. Some of our belters to be there underneath the cliffs. Oh, well, OK. I mean, I, I don't I don't know where, where this place is, let alone displayed there. Why don't you tell me why it's so good to display it? Well, it, it's the uh, it's the memorial to the few at Capel Affirm, which is just uh, just to the east side of Folkestone. So there's there's a fabulous, you know, you can visit on the ground. All the names of the few uh, sort of uh, inscribed in uh, on a big slab there, uh-huh. sort of 3000 or so of them. And then there's a pilot sort of looking out to sea. Uh, and he's. Well, I think that understates it, Harvey. It's, it's a huge, I think that understates it, doesn't it? It's a huge pilot. There's a huge um, sculpture of a pilot sat looking out to sea on a three bladed propeller, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. And it's oh. sort of in the chalk. So from the air, you know, it, actually, that's our sort of one of the air legends do either fly with or we've got a, a mate in the back of the two-seater we always fly over the uh, the memorial to one of those boys and it's great from the air it stands out because the uh the three-bladed propeller is dunk said's in chalk and it you know it just jumps out at you and even the, it's it's very good the restaurant's got a even there's a there's a sort of restaurant there and that's got uh, an elliptical wing so from the air it, it just looks uh you know a, a great place but on the ground you know you're looking out over the sea towards obviously uh, towards france and to display there, it, it's fantastic. You're out over the sea. You can sort of duck down over the sea, so actually the, the crowd can't see you. And then when you pull up, you know, you're just sort of smack bang in front of them. And it's just a, a magical place to display at. Uh, I think we've probably all displayed there when a few of the few have been there. And that, you know, obviously made it even, if, if it could be more special, but just, just unbelievable. You know, I remember... We'd meet the boys. It was always a, that weekend, wasn't it, Dunk, where we'd meet the boys in Ashford, the, the yep. few and have some beers with them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in chapter, you know, Jeff Wellham, Ken Wilkinson, Paul Farns, all those boys. And, and it was just brilliant, utterly brilliant. There was a lovely uh, story about Paul Farns. So we went and <clears throat> did that display at the, um, in fact, I think it may have been 2015 where the weather precluded yeah. us getting there. And we took, what, six fighters down there? Was it six fighters? Or was it four? It was anyway, four. Yeah. four of us trying to get down there, and I tried my damnedest to get us in there, but um, the weather wouldn't let us get in, would it? But we went. We we then went to um, to dinner in the evening, and I was sat next to Paul Farns, and Paul's still around, and uh, he was a Battle of France man, uh, flew Hurricanes, and then he uh, he was in the Battle of Britain, and I was sat next to him. I I hadn't met him before, uh, and Jeffrey Wellham was sat on the uh, the, the table. Um, just uh, just across the way and after the dinner i saw jeff was getting up and generally he would go to the bar wouldn't he he would sort of go oh, i'm going to the bar. oh yeah so uh and i said oh i said to paul farns i said uh oh it looks like uh jeff's off and uh paul went i don't know why anyone makes us such a fuss about that bloke he wasn't even in the battle of france paul farns is delightfully sort of uh, grumpy's the wrong word, but he, he's got a twinkle in his eye. But uh, did you? Did he tell you his logbook story, Dunk? Uh, I don't think he did. He, he, he in the Battle of France, <coughs> they're obviously just being overrun, and uh, he ends up leaving his logbook somewhere in France. It's like, oh, 
bugger, I've left my logbook behind. I mean, he manages, I'm fairly sure he gets, somehow gets to Jersey. And from there, he manages to find a hurricane like you do and flies back. And that's how he sort of escaped back to the UK. Fight, you know, fights in the Battle of, uh, of Britain, fights throughout the whole war. And eventually, it, I think it's kind of somewhere in Holland, they're at a Luftwaffe base. And so now it's 1944. They're now taking over with the Germans in full retreat. And bizarrely, at this Luftwaffe base, some mate finds his logbook. What? And, and <laughs> but the, the, the punchline of the story from Paul was, he goes, yes, but I'd already started a new one. It was bloody annoying. <laughs> Blimey! Yeah. How does that I mean, even what, work? What are, the, what are the chances of that? Slim. Yes. Well, the uh, I, I, you know, I displayed at Capel once, I think, but it was a beautiful sunny day. There were uh, some of the few down below. I think I might have been on your own uh, We just had a belter of a time. I, I do remember because you got the White Cliffs there. You're in proper fighter country. Um, it's the memorial to the Battle of Britain, and you've got some of the few down. It doesn't get any better than that does it that's it it's yeah yeah it's pretty cool especially hey, displaying below a cliff i just love that now speaking about um the few uh i am rereading at the moment and i'm two-thirds of the way through first light Ooh. Ooh. And, i told you on the way down to jeffrey's funeral i uh, i reread it last year yeah. it's amazing you forget how good it is don't you uh, it's fantastic yeah. And yesterday, the weather was awful yesterday, and I've just got just past the bit where they're at Manston. So they've gone through the Battle of Britain, they're at Manston, and he's he's just being launched off in the miserable On that bad weather, day. With, oh. a, where, with no diversions, low, cloud-based, low already and lowering. The possible that you can Is that, yeah. is that yeah, the I mean, one where, yes, Hound, is that the mission where he follows his mate Tom, and Tom has instruments all the way from wherever they were based all the way up to the far end of Scotland to look for condors. No, but no, no, his radio goes, doesn't it? It's full of water, and he, he they, they managed to lose each other. Yeah, it was Tom. He has a squirt at a Junkers 88, and, and he sees the gear come down. That's how, do you remember that when we saw that, was it the BBC who did the, the sort of adaptation of it, and we, we yes. went to the screening of it, and that's, yeah. how the, that's how that film started, with that scene yeah. in the rain. Yeah. Um, and yesterday, we went down to London. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yesterday the weather was similar. As I looked out of the uh, the window at the uh, the aeroplanes, as flying was cancelled because of the weather. It's funny to think, you know, poor old Jeff. And he and and he, you know, he describes this. He, he describes it as despair, as looking out the window in despair, but with no choice. They're being launched. Him and his mate, just the two of them, and and off they go into awful weather knowing that there's a 50 50 chance they just can't get back oh, do you remember he catches the uh doesn't he catch a glimpse of the land <clears> and ends up sort of schneebling <throat> his way back in then recognizing something and finding uh it was, it was he from manston or biggin hill at that point manston um and then you know managing to get in there hey yeah. on a on a similar note when i was out in america last week um i, uh, I went and saw um Shieldsy, John Shields, who oh, yeah. I know Parky will know, and uh, I think yeah, I know you as well. Um, but uh, Shieldsy's on the on the corner on the what's called the uh, Air War College out in um, uh, Alabama, is it? Alabama in Maxwell. Mm. JB, you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, 
I thought you disappeared. No, no. Um, and, um, and so one thing he said, he listens and uh, for some reason finds it amusing. So uh, Shilzy, thanks for giving me a couple of beers the other week and taking me out for pizza. That was very nice. But the second thing he mentioned oh. was uh, he, he, he just read um, Nine Lives by Al Deer, which I, I don't think I've read. Um, you know, it's one of the ones from the Second World War that I haven't. And the link was that he was... When he started War College in the States, which was, you know, the beginning of this term, if you like, he was looking at all of the pictures of uh, previous courses that had gone through. And the very first War College that they did, where they invited a foreign, I think it might have actually been the first one, where they invited foreign students, was in 1946. And Al was on that particular course. And uh, I was thinking, can you imagine that course, you know, because it's about war studies and it's about that sort of stuff, learning lessons and everything, having just come out of a six year fully global Second World War that had ended with, you know, hydrogen bombs and all sorts of stuff. It must have been amazing, the stories on a course like that. But, you know, it just reminded me of the link and also reminded me I need to read Nine Lives. Yeah, it's definitely there's an amazing bit in uh, in Dunkirk when they do a rescue mission, one of the boys... uh, get shot down so they launched the sort of squadron hostel or whatever what was that they had a sort of sort of you know Lysander or a or a was it a called a um a walrus no no it was just a little sort of two-seater that they just do some training in and they and they took a couple of them with some you know some spit escort they literally just went and landed picked the mate up they rescued him with 109 straight in them but how Aldir describes that it's just brilliant there was one above cloud, one below. He knew his mate was doing all right above cloud because one and nines kept crashing around him. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just ridiculously brilliant. Hey, now I got uh, as we're doing book recommends. I guess um, now I was telling the boys as I was looking out the window, saying I'm you know about first light and the uh, and the, the the piece we just. Uh, when when you say the boys, is this other young students? That around other you that are going yes, through. other filthy students on the course yeah no it was uh, instructor students or student students going through this time no it's uh instructor well actually i was in the instructor's room so i was um oh don't mix with the younger are you allowed in there <laughs> yeah no i was only in sort of uh trying to find my logbook probably before i got kicked out get out mason i uh, i have i have vision dunk of uh, it being a bit like ted striker in aeroplane on the plane where you sit down next to someone start ditting on and the camera pans back every now and again <laughs> and they're covering themselves in petrol <laughs> <laughs> we have lost a few actually in the last few weeks <laughs> particularly on bad weather days it's been yeah yeah been a bit of a but you know operation that size bound to lose a few aren't you yeah sorry your book yeah, so uh, and uh, one of the boys was uh, was recommending Sagittarius Rising. Have you read oh, that? That's why the that's isn't that the World War One? Yeah, book? yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. No, I haven't read that. I haven't read any. I've got one ready to go actually. I just haven't started it yet. But I well, haven't read any World War One. There was lots of uh, you know of coups of uh, of uh, yeah. That is the most fantastic book as well. Brilliantly written. Just another um, Wellamesque. Uh, type book, uh, but of course, a first world war rather than second. But so I'm going to, uh, I think we should all pledge to, uh, yeah. to have it. Yeah, yeah. Anyone out there listening, just um, send us a quick book review of it. So, you know, uh, we haven't read it, so tell us what you think. Yeah, and also don't yeah. forget, boys, we do have those two books which you need to sign and send to someone. 
He'll, oh, I can't oh, remember I think who. He's but, given up now. Yeah, but yeah, we will I, get his books. Get I have those two books on my bookshelf re- ready to go. Right. Sounds like we are at competitions. Now, JB, you have been in some aeroplanes recently, haven't you? I've been and, in lots um, of aeroplanes. seen some aeroplanes somewhere on the planet. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I completely forgot. I've not spoke to you since that. But yeah, I, I was over in uh, Japan, and it turned out that they have quite a lot of hardware, which is quite openly out on um, on display. So uh, you can hardly look into the sky in Japan without seeing a P3 Orion. But uh, I nipped down to the island of Okinawa, as you often do. And, uh, yeah, they've got all sorts of things there. They've got F- 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 F-15s. They've got P-3s out there. They've got uh, e- E-2 Hawk. Is it Hawkeye? The E-2? Yeah, yeah, E-2. Yep. Uh, E-2 Cs were you uh, were you sort of garnering information for your handler? I would absolutely never. I would absolutely never do, do, do that. Never do that ever. Um, I was very disappointed though not to see their uh, new submarine hunter, which is the Mitsubishi. I think I want to call it a P two or something, but it, it, it's a cool looking bit 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 of kit. But yeah, it was a uh, it it was all quite uh, all quite cool to see. Di- also disappointed not to see any U.S. Marine stuff on on, uh, on Okinawa. Did you not? No, nothing. No, interesting. No Ospreys. Um, no, no F-18s. No Harriers. No nothing. There, there are lots of them uh, around there. But um, yeah, it's unsurprising they've got all of that kit. I think I, I may have mentioned on a pod previously uh, when we took the Typhoons to Japan from Lossy Mouth. Um, they gave us a brief when we got there, and uh, you know, I mean, you could read anything in the papers these days or, or uh, see on the news. But it's quite an interesting place. Yeah, given very that much they're so. a defence force. But they've got, obviously, they've got Russia to the north, um, China um, out to the uh, um, out to the west, um, and North Korea firing missiles over the top of them when they're doing their missile testing. So, um, and re- ridiculously, a lot of stuff. And ridiculously, yeah. they don't even get on with South Korea. So, you know, all in all, it's a, it's a, it feels like a fairly hostile place. Uh, but yeah, it, it's de- it's definitely a um, an interest. It's clearly an awful lot of stuff going on in that world, and and you know it, minor earthquakes and big typhoons rolling through um, when you're in Japan as well. And Godzilla. Um, <laughs> how how long did, does it take um, did you? you go and look, sorry, God. Uh, JB, did you go and look at the um, talking of the U.S. Marine Corps? Did you go and look at the? I guess the the monuments. The is it the famous monument of the the flag being. Um, that's that's Iwo Jima, isn't it? Is it? Did I get that yeah. wrong? Yeah, I think you yeah. might have. But to answer your question, Dunk, I am the world's worst tourist. What I like is bars, restaurants, and cities. Uh, I have very little time time for sightseeing. In fact, broadly none. If I stumble over a, a monument, I'll have a quick look. But other than that, I'm purely focused on enjoying myself. So, yeah, I am, I am literally the world's most un- ungrateful tourist. Sort of... I thought you went to some sort of relaxing sauna type area in the foothills of Mount Fuji or something. Yes, we did that. I I, gen, I literally slept for two days. I slept for two days. I was out there for just under three weeks, and those two days, I I, I give you my word, I slept for pretty much forty eight hours solid, uh, because that was our little break. In case the listeners are wondering what on earth I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about my other podcast, Egg Chasers, which is rugby based, uh, which I had to unfortunately had to go out to the World Cup for for just under three weeks. Yeah, and be together for so long because there's been quite a lot of work going on right exactly god has been uh, we've been well we, as it's just jb and god has really flung to the four winds oh no parky you've been off as well you've been we're mad yeah yeah with with uh, very interesting with ryanair 
fascinating. <laughs> how, was, how was Ryanair? They were on time. It's good. Just a, a, a... you have to fly it. No, nope. we've all got. Uh, so just... Hello, you're back. Right, just a quick one. Um, do you know when you took the um, typhoons over to Japan? How how long does that whole process last? Do you jump in a pro, uh, jump in a typhoon over in the UK, get there in what eighteen hours? Well, so um, in order to maximise the trip out there, uh, we flew to Malaysia first. So that was a trip that went. Uh, from what I remember, we flew to we had tankers flew to Cyprus. Um, we went from Cyprus to Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia to India, and then India to Malaysia. Um, once we were in Malaysia, we did a two, almost three week exercise out there. Um, and then it was another squadron then. So I went out for the last week of that particular exercise as the squadrons crossed over. Another squadron flew out from the UK on one of our Voyager aircraft that was, you know, bringing a bunch of stuff out anyway. Yeah. Um, and then we, uh, I jumped on the Voyager, clearly didn't pull rank and fly an aeroplane. I just, and that was amazing. Actually, I hadn't been in the cockpit of a Voyager and, and obviously you, you don't get to fly in the cockpit of A330s, you know, these days with the, uh, cockpit doors shut. But, oh, yeah. um, Having done the A380 sim that we did at, uh, uh, with British Airways, exactly the same cockpit, apart from the mission system bit, which is behind the seats. Yes. Um, where the uh, it was a warrant officer who was sat there, basically in charge of the air-to-air refueling. So they've got additional panels so that they can transfer the fuel from the uh, the just the regular fuel tanks in the um, in the Voyager to the drogues that come out the side of the pods or come out the back of the pods on the side of the aeroplane and this awesome tv system where uh for the you know one of the few times in my life i get to watch other people tank under extreme pressure because you know they, they don't want to be the one that diverts the trail to uh, to south korea or the republic of korea or anything like that um and uh with a you know eating a curry and watching them thrash around <laughs> on this thing in uh, in some you know reasonably horrendous weather no um just a bit and then we let it to yeah, do, go on do malaysia have i i'm probably gonna embarrass myself though do they have do they have sukhoi S, su-30s yeah yeah, yeah. so they but malaysia got a massive mix of airplanes um, have they in fact i did a particularly good trip on that exercise, um, Basama Lima was the exercise where we took out, uh, took off out of Penang, um, flew across Malaysia out towards the east, out into the uh, the South Sea there, um, and we were doing a ship attack sortie amongst this huge fleet of, you know, this huge sea battle was going on, whilst being bounced by uh, Su-27s. It was brilliant. I loved it. Nice. Do you remember, Dunk, we did, in fact, Goddess, was the, the Lankari Air Show at the same time? Did one of the jets display there? Probably. Yeah, it was around that sort of time, yeah. They normally try and time it, so you're not flying yeah. just asynchronous out to. odd years it used to be the Lankari, but Dunk and I did the uh, the Lankari Air Show with the Reds. It was brilliant, same sort of hopping, uh, you know, around the world. But I can remember the, the, that same question you asked, JB. It was like the, the Malaysians, they had some MiG-29s, and it was quite a sort of, they just kind of snorted the joint and, uh, you know, duffed up the air show, for, you know, up and down the line for a bit. And did then they snort they it some... or did they snot it? <laughs> <laughs> Which one? <laughs> yeah. They've snorted the joint. <laughs> snorted. It's You're thinking about your week in Marrakesh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't say, was it fraudulent slit? Fraud... <laughs> 
fraudulent slip. Parky, are you are you drunk? No. No, no, no. But the um, but the the Malaysians they also had F-18s at the time, and they just what? had this utter mismatch of bizarre, you know, East and West aircraft. They, I don't know why they 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 had that sort of policy, but they had, you know, they literally buy anything. It would appear. Well, I guess, I guess from their point of view, if you have lots of different suppliers, you're never going to be reliant on just one supplier and one relationship. It's the only yeah, logical I thing I can I can think of. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, India are the same, you know, in terms of lots of, I mean, it's more expensive because you've got lots of different supply chains. But, um, you know, if someone, uh, you end up having an argument and sanctions with someone, then uh, someone else is, uh, you know, going to increase the amount of kit they give you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I guess it it makes sense in that part of the world. And how did you get on against the SU-27s? Uh, yeah, good. It, it was it was a shame because they ended up um, they were above a uh, a hard deck that they were using, and we were below and couldn't pull up into them because we were in the this sort of ship attack um, uh, area, uh, and so we didn't get any full dogfighting in. But we were you know reacting to their um, uh, medium range missiles and some of their short range missiles and stuff like that. Right. Uh, so it was brilliant. I loved it. So why would you design the exercise like that? Because presumably. You know, real life, you're going to either engage them or they're going to engage you. Yeah, it, it, it sometimes depends on what you want to get out of a particular exercise. So if you go to a red flag, for example, out in uh, out in the US, there'll be all sorts of mechanisms where you can pull up transition through um, various altitudes and so on in order to, you know, to have that dogfight if that's what it's come to. But in this particular case, it was more about the sea power side of it in in that point of the exercise so as much as they tried to integrate the air power it was more about the uh, the battle that they were, they were having at sea reacting to us on sort of bombing raids and so on um and uh, uh you know and the um and their sort of friendly fighters, which were the su-27s being called in you know we were the enemy on that particular day um so it it, it all depends on the type of exercise and it all depends on the day in the exercise depending on what the uh, what the focus is Ah, they, there, there you go. Um, I assume you've flown against or more along alongside uh, SU twenty sevens and SU thirties. No, I haven't done. No, I've, I've never done a, a fill with them. I've done some stuff in MiG twenty nines, um, but that's probably the only sort of uh, MiG or Sukhoi Eastern Bloc stuff that I've uh, I fought. What about you, Dunk? No, I don't think I've done any Eastern Bloc stuff uh, at all. I think, you know, there was, uh, we did some, we didn't generally go and do air defence stuff, of course, because we were ground attack people. So we didn't really and, uh, mix it up with those guys. But we did, did, did. Did you ever fly missions out in Afghanistan or anything like that with uh, anyone flying sort of uh, Eastern type equipment? No, no, all Western type. In, in fact, I'm just thinking the one time I flew on the wing of a of an SU-27 was it must have been kind of um, at, in 2000 as an air show. They had a sort of east meets west theme and you kind of they put a sort of great, I don't know, maybe 16 ship, you know, sort of 30 seconds apart. And there was sort of old aircraft east and west and some sort of 60s 70s and they for whatever reason they paired up the f3 with the flanker which i thought was quite cool 
So I had this uh, this major similar freak. performance. That's probably why. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> but uh, I, for for whatever reason, the uh, yeah, it was a, a crusader. They were sort of ahead of us, and this French Navy crusader managed to burst his cars and black the runway, and we were landing behind. So we then diverted about five miles to Bryce and Orton from uh, Fairford, you know, with this flanker mate on my wing. And I remember at the time we sort of just landed, we had to wait till they cleared the runway and we sort of showed, I, I jumped into his flanker and he jumped into my F3. I'm not sure he was that impressed. And then, uh, <laughs> and then we, we took him back and it was, it was a, bit of a bit of a fun day to be honest. Oh, nice. What, uh, what do you think of the inside of, of a flanker? It was, it was, it was probably plated sky blue and green. Yeah, weird colours, the kind of, yeah, funny green colour, but I don't seem to recall an obvious where is the radar. You know, there was a sort of head-up display and the general instruments. It was fairly you know, old tech at the time. This is sort of 19 years ago. But, I, I, you know, every aircraft from the F4, F3, F16, you know, there was an obvious, well, there's the radar. That's what you're looking at, you know, when you're... Same in the know, Harrier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was more like I remember. It, that was that's what I seem to recall, you know. And it was, it, it was, uh, you know, it, some of it was quite funky and modern, and some of it was ridiculously old looking. You know, it was a funny sort of mismatch of those of those two. But it's a big jet. Oh, it's Very, huge, you know, isn't it? That... Next to it. Yeah, it's absolutely that? it's absolutely enormous. If you compare it to an F sixteen or F eighteen, it's huge. Yeah, yeah, it was massive. Sort of, you know, literally parked side by side with the uh, the tornado, and it was like. Somebody's bought a little joke tornado in. Oh, it's mine. <laughs> yeah. it, was the, it, it was interesting, wasn't it, Parker? When the um, I didn't get to do it, but when the Indians brought their uh, SU thirties, I think they were so you know flanker derivative into the UK and um, uh, did the big exercise over here. Yeah, uh, and there was a lot of guys to go go up and 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 fight against them. They... And uh, you know some interest some interesting results because. No one is interested in the results in that long-range war. All you ever want to get into is a bit of mano v mano um, dogfighting. Well, they were quite um, boastful. Glad you said that. Uh, Say again, Amy. Uh, well, they were quite. If I seem to remember my Twitter correctly, weren't they? Weren't they quite boastful about the? Uh, about that the event, well remembered there, JB. Yeah, they were, and that, you know, so there was there was a bit of. Um, definite bit of banter on there you know so i think someone said on twitter or oh, we won 12-1 or something like that but it definitely definitely wasn't like that um it was uh um you know that there was a difference in way that in the way that the aircraft were configured so um you know that medium to long range war that uh you know it went very very well um for and also we had mixed sides as well so you couldn't exactly say you know it was sukhoi's versus uh typhoons the whole time but when it came to um basic fighter maneuvers there were mixed results but it was obvious that the indians had brought every single one of their really experienced pilots you know that all, all guys in their late 20s early 30s with multiple tours on this airplane um and we were just throwing up you know guys who'd only just qualified on it and go go on go and have a go because it's great experience yeah absolutely. Um, so there's various mixed results because in any of those fighters these days um you can still come down to uh 
one's one mistake in turning the wrong direction or putting in the wrong move um and you're uh, you know and you can be uh, defensive honestly it's a bit like the world cup at the weekend you know a couple of wrong moves um and you're on the back foot and it's really hard to get back on the front foot now i i, I... talking about so jb yes. talking about Gibbers, has there been a uh, just 1v1 visual doggers with the uh, brits flying f35s and typhoon yet uh, I think there has been, but I don't know how they got on because that would have been with because 17, 41 squadron, the Typhoon test evaluation squadron had definitely been out to uh, Edwards and done that sort of stuff. But um, I, I must admit, I don't know uh, how that how that's uh, how that's got on. Certainly when um, I did when we did uh, one of the last big exercises I did on the Typhoon was uh, trialer out in the USA. And we were with uh, F-22, F-35 and Rafale. And the first week of that was a BFM week. But I don't think because it, the F-35s were new into service at that point, they didn't have their full G limit because uh, the, the 35A is a, is a 9G aeroplane. Yeah, they didn't do the BFM. So on that particular week, I went off and uh, I did uh, BFM, uh, basic fighter maneuvers, dogfighting against well, a uh, an F-22. At that time, they'd have had the, is it the... The second series of software, so they wouldn't have been able to fly particularly hard anyway. No, this is exact, exactly right. You know, that was almost three years ago now, so uh, it was very early models. Um, but what they what amazed me when we got out and we were doing the big missions. So you know, essentially, once we'd done that week, we then worked up into bigger missions where um, Rafale, F thirty five, F twenty two, and Typhoon were there to defend an area so you'd fly out to you know, maybe go to a, a tanker um all set up at one side of an area that may be you know 150 miles wide and it's up to you to defend your area and they sent up a squadron or two so a lot of airplanes of uh, f-15s and f-18s and all sorts of things that would come at us Ooh, exciting. And, the F, and the f-35 was utterly brilliant at um, I didn't expect it to have the fuel that it did. It hung out there for the entire, what we call the, vul- the vulnerability period. Um, and, you know, whilst all of the other aeroplanes were were replacing each other and, you know, sending more jets in to, you know, make sure that we could stay the distance. And the other brilliant thing that it did, it's a bit like a quarterback in American football in that it sort of sits there, sees the entire picture and then decides what's going on. So, um you know, where you, and it will also data link stuff to us as well. So I could be what we call cold, i.e. running away, always running away, Dunk, running away from the threat, having just had an engagement. And even at that point, not, you know, normally if you've got the link, you uh, the, the data link you can see what's going on on your situational d- display behind you and where everything is and come up with a game plan as to how you're going to pitch back but with the f-35s providing a ton more information you had everything the whole time you know and we were in the uh, everyone out there i think including rafale had the helmets where you're seeing all the information in your visors so everyone's heads out of the cockpit and it was amazing you know right i was i was fortunate that i did have situational awareness in one trip before i stopped flying the fighters I have got <laughs> I've got a super nerdy question. Go on. Okay. If you've got an F thirty five in the air with yeah. all its sensory data and the data fusion yeah. and data links and all the rest of it, where does yeah. this what what role does an AWACS st- still have to play? Um so an AWACS can uh you know, is is as well as just the radar and doing the long range sort of early warning, um 
a it's got that endurance to be up there for uh, you know hours and hours and hours it's a boeing 707 so yeah. you know they can do some uh, reasonably long stuff but b it's got all sorts of different radios that you can put on it because it's a big hefty um carrying platform where you can and a bunch of people where you can do all sorts of different command and control so you know there'll be people looking at ele the electronic warfare that's going on there'll be people looking at the radar stuff that's coming in there'll be p people looking at other different things um and they'll be in touch with whoever's commanding that particular you know battle or, or whatever you want to call it the area of regard um and so it, you know it's much more than just a radar and telling us what's out there it's a command and control platform where they can rebroadcast all sorts of things speak by satcom and, and stuff like that why is that not so, safer um, to be done on the ground though uh, uh, why do they why do they need to be flying for that well because so you can imagine if uh um so if you've got a radar on the ground and you're looking then your shadow then you you've only got that radar horizon that you can see but you put a oh, radar no, I, up a, I, I understand why the radar well, needs needs to be flying but why <laughs> but why do the people need to be flying for command and control um oh, i think we're moving away from that sort of stuff these days but there are advantages in terms of you know whether it's radio range whether it's you know a whole host of other reasons mm. that you uh you put someone up in that particular area that you can then sort of rebroadcast around the place um so a, a, a bunch of different reasons really but um you know we still it's still good to have that sort of platform out there that command and control um and they can also carry other things these days you know sort of rebroadcasting pods pods that turn certain data links translate them and send them out in other data links you know all of that That's sort of stuff so the thing which i see that the big but, but jb God. jb you're probably you're probably right in a way jb now with f35 you know when that thing is on the the link its picture at times will you know, conceivably be better than the uh, the AWACSs, and it will be, you know, putting you know onto the link stuff that the uh, the uh, E three can't see. You know, I'll, I'll go back to American football, JB. You know, it's it's just like. It's having that sort of the you know the quarterback on the field who's doing that for the for the tactical side, but then you know whilst you might have the uh, the coach the head coach on the sideline, you might have the, the offense and defensive coaches high up in the stands with bigger picture of what's going on. That's a nice analogy. Yeah. I like that. You yeah. love it. You can spend a couple of weeks in America and look. He's all about the American football, isn't he? Is that? I bet you that's what they taught you on that warfighters course, isn't it? Right. Use analogies in American football. Well, did I tell you when, because um, I don't think, I'd be, had I been to Dallas-Fort Worth to the F-35 factory when we spoke last time? Not that we've heard of. No, I don't think so. Yes, yeah, so um, I went back out there, that must have been a month ago, a bit more than that. And on, uh, uh, we had to get there for a thing in the evening, and we got there about lunchtime. So, um, uh, you know, a couple of boys wanted to just, all right, trying to get over the jet lag for two hours before we go to a meeting. But I went, right, we're getting in the car. And we went to the Dallas Cowboys AT&T Stadium and did a Ooh. tour. Utterly amazing. I bet it is. 1.2 billion pound stadium where we got to see around everywhere, go out on the pitch into the locker rooms. It was flipping brilliant. And that's on, the, uh, on the American football analogy, God, is you're kind of more like, if you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weightloss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Cheerleader, really, aren't you? <laughs> yes. You, you can get your legs quite high. Water yeah. boy. No, right, nice set of right, legs right, as well. Right behind his ears. Yeah, nice set of legs. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Dunk, with all this modern aircraft banter, we've been leaving you out the uh, the conversation, haven't we? I was just having a little kip. <laughs> but now I can just think of Reminiscing about pops. the old days. Yeah. He's thinking about <laughs> his instrument rating refly. Yeah, exactly. It's quite yeah. a big deal. So, one thing I was going to mention, see, me being inclusive, bringing you into this, oh, and actually I have got another story about Japan that I need to talk about, but yes, okay. one of the things we haven't talked about is, um, did you follow the Reds tour on Twitter? I thought that was flipping amazing what those guys got up to out in the US. And I was, and I, 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 I did I, actually. I don't think after you guys. Yep, yeah, I say, followed them. Say again, JP. So as a you know a civilian there jb what what did you think of the uh of what they were doing and what they were getting up to um well i only saw the one in new york um i i don't know really i mean what was it depends on what the purpose of the tour was i mean was it just to you know raise national pr- uh prestige and tell tell the americans a bit about the raf effectively yeah, oh, you know, it's more than the RAF. I think it's. I mean, these boys would be able to tell you, but it's more about Britain. You know, the Union Jacks underneath the aeroplanes, the Red Arrows. They displayed at all the big air shows out there, from the east coast to the west coast, through to through to Canada. So I always um, wonder about that. Um, I quite like it because I look at it and I think, oh, that's pretty cool, Britain abroad, so on and so forth. But I always wonder if the audience that they're talking to, or the foreign audience, or it's the domestic audience, people like me. I think there's probably a bit of uh, a bit of both. I think the domestic audience, there's, um, you know, they they will enjoy that enormously. But I think probably at the heart of it, it's it's a a business opportunity. I had a uh, just got sent a a text yesterday from a good friend of mine um, called uh, Pete Sharp, who I went through flying training with, and he's now with uh, British Airways, and he was out. uh, on the water, uh, I think in Maine, I think is where he said he was. But he he said there's a lot of BA system stuff over here, and uh, and and sent some pictures through. You know, the fact is that we think BA systems just sits in this country and uh, and produces UK defence stuff. But it's a global company, of course, oh. and um, and I don't think it it, can, it should be underestimated. You know, the projection certainly. You know, Parky was talking about the Lankawi 
tour that we went on in 2003. Um, and it's a huge defense air show. Um, and it, it's not really, although there's a public day, it's mostly uh, about commercial and business aspects to it. And well, yet, where was know, this done? That, sorry, say that again. Uh, where, where was this? In Langkawi, uh, well, out in Malaysia. All oh, right, yeah, where yeah. they snort the joint. <laughs> yeah, they snort it good and proper. <laughs> did, um, so where was the tour on that particular one? Where did you fly through? Was that India into um, out into Malaysia? Yeah, we went. Yeah, uh, well, we went all the way through um, <clears throat> Saudi Arabia and then um, Dubai. We did Abu Dhabi. We displayed India. We um, so. Uh, and then we went uh, Pakistan briefly. Yeah, the route, the route was, yeah, we sort of did Oman. Then it was going out. It was Oman, Karachi, Delhi, uh, and then Chiang Mai, and then Bangkok, and then Bangkok down to Langkawi. Yeah. Then they're yeah. all about sort of hour and a half in a hawk. Yeah, and that's the amazing thing, JB. And and that's why I massively take my hat off to the Reds. You know, a good friend of ours, Finn Monaghan, um was uh in charge of them essentially when they did the tour of china well, actually at the same time we were we were in japan uh three or four years ago um and the logistics of doing this no, when you're in an airplane that doesn't have an air-to-air -air refueling capability you know and for guys like duncan parkey who are i mean it almost looks like you don't get out the cockpit for the entirety of this tour where you know you've got to be you're changing time zones you've got to be rested to do displays and so on you're doing displays in locations that you've never seen before um you know it's i i personally think it's a it's a hell of an ask on the uh, on the pilots and to do it faultlessly as it looked like in the states and i'm sure it was when you guys were doing it i i, I just think is amazing yeah, yeah the boys would have done a brilliant job but i mean you've picked up uh brilliant i think uh People don't realise the uh, the stresses and strains of uh, of going and doing that, but you've uh, you've hit the nail on the head there. But isn't that isn't that the art of good teamwork though? It, the more effortless it looks, the 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 better you're doing, the harder it is. Yeah, yeah. almost certainly. I think uh, you know it, it is uh, particularly you know going across time zones as uh, as god is saying no matter where you're going and uh, and displaying there will be a pull on you not only in a piloting capacity but in a social capacity as well because you know people the dignitaries that uh, that you've gone and displayed for will want to meet the pilots and it's all a pull on your time when actually you know you've got to stay rested you've got to stay focused and you've got to look towards the next display and what that's going to involve and probably you know you're going to have to transit somewhere else which may involve two gusting three hops you know across time zones into different countries you know and just getting the airplanes there navigating the airplanes um you know across international borders and getting to the correct place of the correct time no, um, is it's not it's not something that's uh, that's particularly. So you just clip a bit, boys. Yeah. Uh, hello. <laughs> can you hear? Can you hear me? Oh, okay. Oh, he's back. Yeah. Hello. Ah. Yeah. We're right now. Now, maybe. I'm sorry that I don't have both your CVs immediately in front of me. Both you and Parky were on the Reds, right? And one. And didn't one of you instruct on uh, on the Reds? Well, we both did. Yeah, we both. Yeah, it's just the way that it works, you know. Is you you start in the first year and you learn from the boys above you, 
Um, and then you ah, uh, but up sorry, the way and, you but know. you weren't in a position to, to fail, lads. That that and uh, that came, came on board, no. Well, it's not really as black and white as that because you're not someone's particular instructor per se, but you look at a manoeuvre and if someone struggles with that manoeuvre, then people try and work out ways to 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 uh, you know to get over that that problem that they have. Um, and do you know what? I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, Parco, but I think, you know, the only time people have stopped flying on the team is generally when they have an accident. So if it gets to the point where there's an accident, then of course, you know, there's a, 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 an investigation into that. I can't think of anyone who has been sort of retired early, gracefully removed from the team. Can you, Parco? No, no, not not really. The um, and you're right. It's just you know struggling with the odd, generally second half manoeuvres, isn't it? And uh, you know helping them out, maybe the odd dual. You were the exec, weren't you, Dunk? So you did the flying test like I did with the the mates. So yeah, you know, on the short this week, you you flew and you you sort of checked out the boys in the back, and then you sort of have a chat with the boss about it. You fly on his wing. It's kind of how it worked, and it was a um. Yeah, you know, you you just get a feel for the boys, and you 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 know you do pick guys that you're fairly you can't guarantee, but as close as you can that they're going to hack it, and that was kind of the philosophy. Yeah, do do you think there's an element of pre-selection, which is why both of you can't actually think of a re of, of you know yeah. of any guys that didn't really uh, make it. Yeah, the, the the flying test, you know, it's you know it's, you, you, some of the boys wouldn't have flown a hawk for. You know, a few years and uh, without any practice, really. You know, you're you're into uh, four loops and four rolls in in a couple of positions on the wing of another hawk, and you know that does. You know, it, it's that's quite a, an A level flying test. That sort of twenty minutes, and uh, you, you can you can learn a lot from that, I think. Um, and you know, the, the the boys, you know, their their flying reports would be very good, and you know, some of the manoeuvres, you know, they do look quite difficult, but you know, it's just. It's just something that you just, uh, you know, you just practice and practice, and you just get it. And and, you know, luckily the success rate is is high. Ah, excellent. And I think you know the 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 way that the team, because I think you, since we've left the team, there's been quite a lot of focus. Um, Justin Hughes started his business called Mission Excellence, didn't he? That sort of looked at how the Red Arrows uh, do business, how they. Uh, criticize um, criticize each other in, in a hopefully a constructive way but the, the pro- process that the team uses in terms of uh, brief fly debrief three times a day uh, and it's relentless um, but you'll go and do a sortie yeah, so, you know, between these manoeuvres, whoever was the, the guy, um, so perhaps for the front five, number five would probably be at the back of the formation watching how that particular manoeuvre went. You'd have a quick debrief in the air before doing it again, debrief in the air, do it again, etc., etc. And then you'd go and debrief it on video on the ground and then try and put a little bit more meat on the bones to tell people, right, you need to, you know, stay at full power at that point for whatever it is, don't back off. And as Parky said, through practice and practice and practice, all of these fairly complex manoeuvres, um, they just come good. 
so I imagine... Yeah, JB, JB, just the sort of the going around the world bit, that, especially for the boss, I think that was stressful. That was... Once you do the show, it's kind of like a rehearsal. I wouldn't say it's the easy bit, but it's absolutely what you you know and you can do. Yeah. But Tiki and Karu took 11 jets and, you know, just going around the world into international airports. And, you know, it's quite a busy schedule to get through them. You know, I think it was it was monsoon season when we were there. We had some definitely had some interesting weather. And that was that could be a level. Yeah, I bet. Just, you know, I can remember, I don't know, do, do you think when, when I talk about Chiang Mai, we, that one of the guys, it's funny how the Reds do the radio, and I'm sure they probably still do it the same, but one of the guys would be um, speaking to air traffic, and you have two two radios in the Hawk, and you'd have almost, almost like a chat amongst the, the, the flights, and then one guy, and you could listen to him, everybody would, he'd be talking to air traffic, and like an airliner, reading back the clearances and doing various bits, but the procedure was then one guy, another guy, would jump across to the tower frequency and just kind of pre-warn the tower that the red hours are inbound. You'd maybe be, you know, 30 miles out. You're going to be there in sort of uh, four minutes or whatever, five minutes. And you just warn them and try and kind of bond with air traffic, get a little bit of clearance. And I can remember, I don't know who it was, was going into Chiang Mai and you, you'd literally sometimes go, I'll just chop to tower now. And I just listen out. And and I don't know if it was Dunk or whatever, but essentially he's talking to a, to a girl in Chiang Mai air traffic saying, Red Arrows, we're going to be with you in about four minutes. Uh, we're going to do a looping left-right break, and we'd like permission for all 11 aircraft to land. And there was just this stony silence. And then she came back and went, you're going to do what? And, and <laughs> this conversation lasted the entire five minutes as he tried to explain that we're going to loop information, and then we're going to break left and right-hand circuits and kind of land behind each other. And that was impossible to describe. And, and <laughs> I ended up having tears in my eyes, you know, landing because it was just so funny. And, and it, there were so many weird little bits with the Reds. Those, those, sort of, those, those are where almost the, the things happen that, that you really remember. It's very strange. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, tell me this. When you're all in your red flying suit... Oh, I want to talk, talk about flying suits uh, later too. Um, when you're in, in, in your red flying suits and you're on the ground and you've had a good display... And there's some very wealthy dignitaries there and, you know, heads of foreign governments. Who are the coolest people that you've met? Who are the unusual people that have asked, you know, for you to go for a drink or whatnot? <laughs> and are you allowed to say? For the listeners, I'm looking at their faces. <laughs> looking at their faces, and I do believe there are stories that probably shouldn't be told on this pod. <laughs> no, I just remember who we met in Newcastle, Dunk. After the Great North Run, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we don't that. want to talk about that. No. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. No, great listening, boys. I mean, we can chat. We no. can say his name. It's not like he's Voldemort or anything, is <laughs> no, no, it? No, no, you met Voldemort. Well, no, no. How about... He's not Lord Voldemort. <laughs> although well, he was Lord Voldemort. He, he's probably hated more than than him. Who? That... Yes. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, worse than Vol. Do you know what? I was literally about to say as a joke then. Yeah, that, no, no, that was no, on the tip of my yeah, tongue, but I thought, no, that'd be in bad taste. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then we then we bumped into. <laughs> yeah, went to Malaysia, bumped into. <laughs>
Goddess is giving us the, uh, general, the general's giving Join us the cutthroat. Why is our general waving his arms around wildly on camera? <laughs> general's gone off on one. Uh, uh, do you know what? It was a bit. Uh, it was a bit funny like that. I don't know. Can you remember any? Even on that tour, this... I think the fact is we would be. You, you'd get on the ground. We did meet the king of Malaysia. That was that's. Cool, the, uh, there you go. Yeah. Why didn't you go with king of Malaysia? <laughs> How can you not come out with that first? <laughs> and in the end, Parky brings up someone that he really shouldn't have brought up. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Who really? Yeah. yeah Who we, really lost in the memory park? Yeah. You, you sort of meet. Um. Yeah. Prime ministers and and uh, well, bits and bobs. And, and well, which prime ministers? Sportsmen, women. Prime minister with prime minister of Poland. Yeah. That, that's pretty cool. Was it, is it president or prime minister? Now was that the one with the, the, that? That was a twin. Oh, I don't know about that. There's, I'm sure, it's prime minister or president that was a twin. Well, it might have been his twin then. Might have just nipped along. We we couldn't tell. One was a defence secretary, one was a prime minister, and if you remember, one of them died um, on a plane trip to Russia. You are full of unbelievably obscure information. Uh, I I don't think the death of a foreign leader is obscure. Well, when did it happen? Oh, I'd say... It wasn't last week, was it? Oh, I'd say three years ago. Four wow, years ago, we were, so, so like we that. were in the we were in the Reds fifteen years ago. Okay, so my, uh, okay, maybe not him then. No, other uh, other prime ministers. Oh, now you're asking. Put us on the spot now. <laughs> not happy with a prime minister and a king. He wants more. I uh, like it. President royalty. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Give us a president. All right, we we met the president of Mozambique. <laughs> No. <laughs> Here Did we go. Um, I can't. Re- I can't pronounce his name. But the fourth president of the Republic of Poland died, tenth of April, twenty ten. Ooh. Yeah, after, we still we'd left. We're long, long before that. After the, after a Polish Air Force Tu one five four crashed outside of Smolensk. Oh dear! Killing Ooh. all ninety six on board, which is obviously a great yeah. I, there was a lot of there was a lot of senior people on board that as well, weren't there? Yeah, loads. Um, gloom in, over the evening, isn't it? So we got so we got into this over tours around places and how difficult the logistics are. So I did also have to mention they'd just taken a a three week break, but the Silver Spitfire, who got to, to Japan, um, and is now um, pressed off and is in India, which I think is flipping amazing. So I. Uh, you know, not overly far off circumnavigating the globe, which I think is utterly brilliant. So it all is, the best to the boys out it? there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had a quick, had a quick chat with Smithy, um, who said he essentially had to do a rhubarb raid into Japan from the north because the weather was so bad when they were getting in there, um, uh, and uh, you know, got delayed by weather all over the place. But so I think you know what an amazing effort. Did they come in about four weeks ago then to, to Japan? Yeah, it was it was something like that. A typhoon uh, was, uh, hibiscus, or whatever the hell it's called. Hagibus. Yeah, I call it. Yeah, what, what, it's definitely not hibiscus. Uh, I can I can tell you that much. Yeah. Um, well, it, they, they planned they pre-planned to stop there anyway because the aircraft needed maintenance because it's halfway around the world for them. Um, so they sort of wrapped her up, put her in a hangar once they'd done the maintenance, and then sort of waited out for a couple of weeks and just started again a week ago. Did but, they uh, take their own maintenance there? They, they're followed by another aircraft, aren't they? Yeah, yeah that's uh, the PC12. PC, 
PC12, yeah. PC12. Sorry, what is is that? Is that its designation? Is that the model number? No, it's a Pilates. It's kind of like about. It's a single engine turbo prop with about six seats in it. Oh, I've seen and it. A lot of Spitfire spares and wheels. And oh, it's not very big, is it? Yeah, I, in, I saw. Not a huge. Made in Switzerland, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Just, he showed me round it when I was uh, when they were leaving. You know, uh, when they left Goodwood, and uh, yeah, it was it was chocker. It's a cool stuff. looking thing, isn't it? It's kind of like not to be too funny. But it's sort of like a business Cessna. Yeah, yeah. It, that's exactly what it is. Um, uh, so good luck to those boys. And the and the final person I wanted to mention was. Um, Little Jacob the pilot. Have you have you guys seen this on Twitter? I know JB we'd had a discussion, but it turns out <laughs> yes, it turns out that that little fella amazingly has just raised six and a half grand for the RAF Benevolent Fund, um, and it, they got in touch with me. In fact, it's it's an answer to my request for questions this evening, um, where they wanted to shout out where you know this this little fella. And if you haven't seen him on Twitter, go and have a look. Is only uh, six years old, so you know he's been helped out by his families here, but a fascination with aeroplanes. Um, and he's doing a Dunkirk challenge next year. And amazingly, seeing as I've only just read this, but he is following the 25 kilometer route that Al Deer took to um, escape out of Dunkirk when he got shot down. So the exact story that Parkey was talking about from the book Nine Lives that we mentioned at the beginning of the pod. Um, and uh, um, Jacob's doing that next year. And uh, I'm just looking at his Just Giving page. And already, uh, for a £2,000 target for something next year in 2020, uh, they've raised £1,000 already. So for a little six-year-old lad who's full of the joys of spring and loves seeing aeroplanes and wearing his little flying suit, um, what a flipping good effort for all that fundraising. Yes, quite. That's well, amazing, isn't it? Well done, Jacob. You are the boy. Yeah. Quite literally, the boy. Yeah. Yeah, hey, boy. quite literally, the boy. Uh, do you have and any questions, could Connors? Be a, it could be a future Tempest pilot. Yeah. Sorry, I just had to... Brilliant. Yes, of course, because there's a, a, a new Tempest coming out, isn't there? Um, yeah. Do you have any questions? Yes, we do. Fire, um, fire away. <laughs> here's a good one. Uh, so this one's from Daniel Hodgson. Uh, can someone explain to me the milk-based banter I often see exchanged between ex-Harrier pilots on the Twitter sphere? Dying to know? Question mark. <laughs> I've not noticed this. Well, it's normally it's you, there is something, and uh, I don't, we'll we'll see in a minute if God knows any uh, any further where it's from. But it was always something that was banter to the Harrier Force that they drank milk and ate quiche. And it was, you know, uh, th- that was always the banter, <laughs> I guess, because, you know, back in the day, um, not that long ago, the, R- the RAF was a fairly hard drinking uh, uh, organization. Um, and it um, when you look back and uh, if I go back to First Light, uh, and uh, reading that and the drinking culture that the Air Force had back then, because really they were, you know, surviving day to day. So, you know, they had, uh, you know, a number of they'd go down the, the pub most nights. Uh, and uh, so I guess, you know, that uh, that each fighter force probably uh, enjoyed the odd trip to the pub or two. Um, but it was sort of seen that the Harrier Force didn't that rather than do that, they stayed at home and 
drank milk and ate quiche. But I don't know where the quiche came from, whether that was just a throwaway uh, on top of the milk. So, it sounds like the ultimate whether, insult to me. Yeah, well, yeah, or indeed whether perhaps a particularly well-known Harrier pilot did actually drink milk. I don't know. Have you heard of you know this? Goddess has gone, he's gone quiet. Goddess is <laughs> completely... He's got a mouthful of quiche. The whispering I think it's exactly that. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's exactly that, Dunk. In a, it was from a time when men were men. You know, it was one of those things. So back in the sort of 60s, 70s, and I think when the Harrier first came in, um, you know, we... Uh, it's probably all over YouTube now, but you remember they'd show us the horror video of people doing the uh, V-stall, you know, the vertical short takeoff and landing stuff when they first got into the aeroplane and you just saw people falling out of the sky, jets crashing nose on, all of this sort of stuff. And it was, especially the early models were hellish difficult to fly. So I think it was, it came from one of those things, you know, the F4 pilots or whatever would be in the bar. Um, you know, but the Harrier pilots would leave a bit earlier because they knew that if they got into that aeroplane and tried to do some V-stall the next day um, and they weren't on the top of their game, it wasn't going to happen or you could die. So uh, I think that's where it started from. But, yeah, it was definitely a bit of old school stuff. It's oh, um, a good question, that. A really good question. Any, any input, Parky? I see you smiling and nodding. You, yeah. What about from the other side of the fence? I have a few recollections of, you know, the odd beer on the Phantom Force, maybe one <laughs> or two on a Friday. <laughs> it's why you look 300 now. <laughs> um, so Lisa, six times. Lisa Harding, um, <laughs> this is funny. Uh, I'm not asking my question again. You know what it is. And that is about us doing a live pod. Will someone, for the love of God, please sort this out? I want to do it. You're uh, the I, general. Yeah, you've yeah. just done a leadership course. <laughs> For goodness sake, show some leadership and bloody That's lead us right. there. I forgot we'll it's you my fault, even though, you, even though Parky lives three feet from the Petwood. Well, yeah, but I, I'm not, you know, in the RAF, but you could delegate it to, a, you know, a flight lieutenant, for example. <laughs> Lisa, we are going to sort this out one, one way or another. Um, uh, oh, here's an interesting one. How much, uh, I guess we, uh, we've kind of alluded to this, Charlie uh, Leon, how much has the Royal Air Force changed over the course of your careers and how do you see the RAF in 10 years' time? There's a question. That is a question. Crikey, how long have we got? Parker, you, you were in for at least 50 years. Yeah, the, the, the first part of it is it's changed a lot. Um and, I, and the second bit is probably going to change more. I mean, it, I, I guess, you know, the first thing is just extraordinary how many, just in terms of fast jets, you know, when I finished TAP Weapons, I think we had nine types you could choose from. I mean, it was mental, really, just, you know, Phantoms, Lightnings, Buccaneers, Jaguars, Harriers, Tornadoes. It, it just an extraordinary array of aircraft and just loads of squadrons and you know there was just lots of flying to be had that's that's how i sort of recall it obviously probably you know rose tinted glasses but it was uh, it was busy there was loads of flying there was a little bit of that culture you know you were you, you had fun and it was enjoyable you know we did we did loads of flying and, and lots of great stuff and and you know it, it's without doubt it's just more professional for one of a better word i still think we we flew hard and we worked hard but you know the world's changed a bit and uh, and, and that's where we're at I, how does how does that sound goddess I think you're about right, you know, and I, I do like your comment about more professional. 
Um, not that we weren't back in the day, but I think JB, it, it would, you know, I was using the American football earlier. This is the rugby equivalent of, you know, not high-end amateurs, but the way professionalism has changed. Yeah, over, I'm not a fan of that. You know, over the last 15 to 20 years. I mean, you would have seen that as a, uh, you know, as a rugby player at a club. Yeah. You know, I, how, I, how, that's, how that sort of stuff has changed. So I think it's exactly the same. Yeah, the problem, that, the problem is what I thought, God, is, is I don't think it works very well. So uh, there's one thing to be professional if you're an accountant. There's another thing to be professional if you or asked to do extraordinary things on a daily basis. So I'll just relate that, uh, relate that to rugby. You know, if you want to go out and do extraordinary things in uh, unusual manners, to, uh, to, to, to say the least. And I think that professionalisation in rugby takes the edge off lads, personally. I like, I like my rugby players, particularly in the um, era, to be a bit more hard-drinking, a little bit rough, uh, uh, and a little bit, how can I say, a little bit harsher with each other. Because I think that's what it takes when you go. go no, on no, the field. no. So, to my point about the professionalism is not that everyone was a an amateur back in the day, rising around the place. Mm. But um, it's Parky's point, for example, about snorting or snotting. Yes. You know, there, there, there isn't a junior pilot out there right now who would consider, you know, a low level flyby on a departure from an air show or, or something along those sorts of lines. Are you sure, General? Yeah, but why not? I mean, do do you not think that? (laughs) I mean, don't you think that that is absolutely absurd? I mean, if the whole no, because the because the half of it, Dunk, is there's uh, it it comes down to the point there are fewer people around, and just as in every walk of life, the um, social media means that everything you do is on camera and will be on camera. And I mean, and you know this from Afghanistan and the, you know, the takeoffs and, you know, people standing with cameras at the end of the runway, um, you know, and that's in a sort of, a, you know, a wartime scenario where, um, uh, you know, there was a reason for those sorts of takeoffs in case people are firing, uh, you know, stuff at you. Um, and uh, the, that's what I mean by the, you know, maybe it's the wrong word in terms of professionalism. I, I, think, but, I think I know uh, where, where you're going with it. But I would just say, aren't you looking for daring young men? And if they won't dare to do, like, you know, a low-level fly pass, what else would they not dare to do? Well, no, I don't, I'm not sure that's true. I, just to go back, so, oh, this is a good question because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's generated quite a lot of uh, heat of talk, hasn't it? But, you see, I, um, I disagree with God. As I think there is... Um, uh, there's a real step change in actually it's not the professionalism it's not it, it's actually what we're doing when you look back um at even when we joined but certainly when you and i joined um we were in the cold war era so we we're in a very very different place and so we um we would train differently uh, i think i i think maybe it's rose tinted glasses as well but i think that we were just as professional i think the professionalism hasn't changed and i think but the job has because we i was about to say this but because i think we're asking more of the we're asking more of a youngster coming through now in what they do than they did of us Hmm. yeah i mean and i think well yes and no i think uh we'd have i think we'd have stepped up to the plate it's just that now there is a very different environment that people are going and that, that, you know, the combat environment that the Air Force is still very much involved in, whether it be rotary, multi-engine or fast jet, the, the pace of it 
I think is greater. The, the pace is greater uh, than it was when we were training for for you know uh, the, the red fury to come over the uh, come over the fence, weren't we? And so the, the fact is that that's kind of all we were doing. And then when Iraq and Afghanistan started, that started to change the face of what the Royal Air Force was doing. Well, no, I was I was going to make this exact point in the you know you say we started in the Cold War. We didn't you know with. The Gulf, first Gulf War started with me and you just down the corridor from each other going through Cromwell. And pretty much everyone has been opera on operations almost all of the time since then in some mm. way, shape or form. Mm. And I think that has led to a, you know, a different attitude that uh not that you know from my time up at lossy you know and you mentioned <laughs> are you uh you know are you dislocated from uh from reality there general the reason i'd go out and visit squadrons when they were away you know away from the home base was just to see exactly that you know what were they like and there is absolutely still the esprit de corps and the element of fun that you would recognize from the second world war or the first world war that it that side of it is exactly the same um but the we you know you to multi-role airplane for example you know we are asking so much more with the multiple different weapon types i mean there's bound to be a few listeners who are going to disagree with me of the of the pilots coming through in you know the sort of level that they have to be at and the professionalism that they have to uh, to demonstrate because you know just consider going out to syria or you know going out to cyprus now and flying a mission out of there with all of the procedures that you're looking at, the different rules of engagement, you know, look at that particular airspace right now with Syrians, Russians, Iraqis, you know, all sorts of stuff going on out there. The stuff going on on the ground it is unbelievably complex. When we grew up in a world where, you know, close air support, here's your forward line of own troops, here's something else, here's uh, a quick grid reference, go and bomb it, don't worry too much about the rules of engagement, you know, with an iron non-laser guided bomb. That, I think, drives a professionalism because you have to be disciplined in order to do all of these different roles and be good at all these different roles. That's, I think, what I mean by the professionalism side. Yeah. But I, you've I, still I got this thread of, of fun. And I think, you know, it, it, the boys always were, you know, they, you fought and operated your aircraft absolutely as a squadron, you know, to the... Yeah, and I don't mean you ability, didn't do that. Were, you know, certainly in the air defence world on the F4, F3, there were... You know, we would do an APC, so every year you'd, you'd go and shoot the gun at, at the flag in Cyprus, you'd do detchies, so air sort of combat range against whoever, you know, for, for a few weeks, there'd be squadron exchanges, there would be, there would be, it was such great fun, you know, for one of the, and you were professional with it, and you did your bits, but it was utterly, utterly brilliant job, because it, there was so much flying to be had, and so much fun flying to be had. Well, I think that's key as well. You RA and you intercepted the Russians and you did all of those bits as well. But it's, you know, times have moved on and, and it is now, you know, more of the world goddess just to explain. And I think that does change the way the boys fly and how they operate their jets now. And I, and I, But I think it's also the amount of flying that you've alluded to, the fact that that's reduced, the fact that, you know, going to an air show, you know, when I was a flying officer flying, uh, I was holding, waiting. So I had my wings, I'd done Chivener, and I was waiting then to uh, to go to uh, an OCU. Uh, and I was holding down at St. Athen. And I took the uh, the hawk that had the, it was a black dragon on it, uh, painted on the side of this hawk. 
I went to an air show in the summer every weekend. But now you see that sort of thing is gone. Um, and that sort of culture, and it is a culture that's changed. Um, so we say about, you know, doing the fly pass and doing the, those low fly pass, the opportunity for for people to to actually get involved in those things um, has changed. And I think, you know, we've realized as well and we've grown uh, and learned from the fact that people can get themselves into all sorts of trouble. And, you know, it was the the, the age old adage within the Air Force was the most dangerous time of an air show was when everyone was departing because, you know, that's when boys went, hey, I've been on the beer all weekend and uh, I was the static crew. Uh, and now watch this as they depart, you know, and they would beat up the joint. But I think there's far there's there's less and less opportunity for that happen. But I don't disagree. But there is also the social media aspect that you speak speak about Goddard's and the fact that that does undoubtedly keep people honest. Yeah, which which going back to that original point, don't you think that is an an enhanced degree of i can't think of a better word you know uh parky mentioned it but sort of professionalism there yeah yeah i guess you're right yeah <laughs> I, I, so uh, you know i think we come around to that i uh, you know jb i know i know what you mean about the sort of go the the rough around the edges um you know rugby player the sort of you know the trouble is when you get that sort of person it's almost mercurial isn't it um, you know, mercurial means up and down. You have you can have uh, amazing days and you can have bad days. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure it's the same. I th- you know, definitely from my time a couple of years up at Lossy, people seemed to be having fun. Again, it always always difficult uh, when you're a uh, when you're the commander and the leader trying to test the water there. But uh, space is coming round. Pretend to be having fun, everyone. Yeah, pretend to be having fun, everyone. <laughs> Laugh oh, harder. Yes, sir. That, I, my final point on this. My Beatings final point will. Come. This, this is the best question we've ever had. Um, my final point on this is: I went to a, um, a leadership. Was one of the chief of the air staff's leadership conferences a couple of years ago, and they had a, a psychologist on stage who talked about uh, leading the next generation, and his point was that there isn't really a next generation. You know, the generations are not different. It's just us that has changed. Um, you know, we've grown older. We've become the grumpy. It wasn't as good in my day. Every single person in the history of time, when they get into their sort of late 30s, early 40s, 50s, talks about the halcyon rose-tinted days, and it's not as good as it was. So I have um, a theory, right? Which is an interesting... That there are institutions out there which just know how to get, how, how to get things done. And I would suggest that the armed forces of the UK in particular are those institutions. And I do worry about when corporate speak and psychologists and all this start getting involved in military stuff. Because although they might add something very, very substantial, very valuable, I don't think it overtakes the values of the institution itself, which have been honed over, you know, in the UK's case, uh, case, literally hundreds of years. And that's, and that's always my worry. And that is your final word. <laughs> done right so so final question then because otherwise we're going to bore people to death but yeah. um my wedding anniversary tonight as well i might be in trouble uh no you'll be all right um oh, so this is from uh, robert mclennan oh yeah i like questions about this what period of flight history would you have liked to have been involved in my interest is at edwards air force base in the 40s mm-hmm. 50s and 60s now interestingly why would that be not, then 
Well, so I watched the right stuff again on the aeroplane out to the States about a month ago. Yeah. And when you look at Jaeger and those boys going up and um, it's just amazing. They didn't know we're going to break up, you know, all of those pictures on the wall that they end up having a drink to because those are the pilots that have stoofed in. Uh, the family's there wondering whether, you know, the guy in the dark suit is going to appear on the drive. Um, and if you did get it right and you did manage to, you know, work out that the airplane was going sideways at just prior to Mach 1 because the controls had reversed and you managed to get it going again, you went through Mach 1, became, became the first person to go supersonic, et cetera, et cetera. I could see why that would be an exciting time. I think probably all of us are back in the 40s somewhere because um, that's probably where our hearts lie. But I don't know. Dunk? It's a very difficult one, isn't it? It's uh, because it is easy to think, well, to romanticise about it. But, um, you know, go back to our book club and you go back to <clears throat> mention of Jeffrey talking about the despair and fear that he felt um, before going flying and uh, Pierre Klosterman's book, uh, The Big Show, and he, how he wrote about it, the just total fear um uh ken wilkinson uh used to say that he the reason he could do it was because he believed he was already dead and so those things make you think it sounds great because you know you'd be part of this this part of history um but i'm not sure if the the romantic side of it is <clears throat> quite what it would have been like i think just post-war into the jet age uh, would have been really interesting. So I think, you know, as our question asker says, you know, the uh, 40s, 50s, 60s must have been a fascinating time. Um, and particularly as aviation was developing so quickly. I, I, so I think probably just post-war into that, for me, that, that sort of um, early jet age. Yeah, Poco. Poco? Yeah, no, I, I, it's a great question. We've, we've had two belters, really. We could have done a whole podcast on the last two questions. But, uh, yeah, for interesting stuff, I, I was just as you were saying that, Dunk, I was, you know, just blown away. I remember when the um, <clears throat> when the two Langs were here and there was some Arvaro chat and they were saying that there was 11 years between the Lancaster and the Vulcan flying. And, you know, it's it, just extraordinary that technological advance you know almost overnight aircraft were outdated and jumping in and the, the different types that the boys flew you know the the eric winkle brown story is just you know it will never ever happen again it can't you know it's just just incredible era of flying and uh yeah just uh, probably you've nailed it you know that was when when the most the most advances happened and you know every every other week it must have been you won't believe what we've built now have a look at this thing you know wow <laughs> roll that out I, I tell you what you know the the era we've ended up flying in hasn't been all bad either is it no you know it, it, it'd be a difficult thing to go you know go and swap it all as much as we love all of that old stuff um I, you know I, I feel so uh, lucky to have flown the airplanes that i've flown and done the stuff that we've done you know over the last 30 years or so um that's been flipping amazing i tell you one would have been yeah. cool um either right at the start especially in civils doing something weird like the postal run between cuba and florida which is i think sort of, i mean something being right on the edge like that would have been 
flipping amazing. So, so yeah, like, that's back, true, actually, Jaden. Yeah, like back in the days where you could basically buy yourself a, a seaplane and set up an airline. I mean that that sounds that sounds pretty awesome. Um, I'll and, tell you what. I just I, I, on that note, I, before we start the pod, I was just watching on Channel Five there the the thing on uh, hundred years of British Airways and starting off as a, you know a little outfit flying out of Croydon Airport across to um, uh, across to France and then becoming um, Imperial Airways and then a submission yeah. to British overseas and so that they showed right at the beginning the sort of stuff you're talking about and I was just joking with the family there you know that you've got this massive biplane tail dragger with all the people sat down the back and these two little pilots perched on the top in this open cockpit of this you know behemoth as it you know toodled off to france i mean can and you they said it was can you imagine how exciting be boac when they got the first comet i mean let's let's not uh, dwell on what eventually happened to the comet but it, it must have been absolutely brilliant or when they were trying to fly what was the what was that enormous aircraft which was meant to be an airliner of the um, a cruise ship of the sky how was that? The shorts, a massive shorts air, um, aircraft. And the other job, which would have been really cool, post-war, um, sort of coming into Jess age, being a salesman for someone like de Havilland or Buccaneer with all these various types or English electric, that would be seriously cool. Well, I wouldn't yeah, want to be a salesman, JB. You could do that. but uh, Yeah, exactly. Know, I, but I'd love to have my hands so. on, on all that's that kit. A, that's, that's a cool pitch. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, showing up to somewhere like, I don't know, straight. Lightnings. Hey, yeah, I don't, don't remember. The salesman, right? You may you may laugh at salesmen, but the salesman for all all these aircraft companies all used to be the test pilots. They would be in, like, a three-piece suit or some sort of striped double-breasted thing. <laughs> like, finish lunch, jump into an aircraft, fly it around, land again, finish off lunch. It was a brilliant life. Yeah, well, that, that would have been the way. You, that you have been sold the way that well. It. Yeah, you've turned that round. Well done, Jay. Yeah, and <laughs> unfortunately, that also ends very sadly in in Farnborough. But you know, still. Yes. Yes. Well, what a what a podcast! It's probably what a return, eh? What was waiting for? Yeah, really lit the afterburners there. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, uh, if uh, if you don't mind, boys, I'll, uh, I'll 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 bring this home. Thank you, Godders, Parky, and Dunk. And remember, you can find us only on Twitter. We're not going to pretend that we're going to do anything else. That's at Pilot Episodes Pod, where you can send us a little direct message if you don't want to tweet us. If you've got a question, just leave something there. If you just want to get involved with the conversation, please do. And uh, maybe we'll get back next month, eh? We'll do our oh, Definitely. We, we, you know, Parky's got more time these days. Of course. Well, if he's not hibernating. <laughs> I yes. might have passed my IRT by then. Exactly. <laughs> yes, well we can all we, we can all check in then. So uh from us four, thank you for listening and we'll catch you very soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.